0: Well hello and welcome into the Cultural Coven. I'm your host Nicola Roy and I am delighted you're going to be joining us for some chats with some of Scotland's much loved arts and cultural figures. This week I'm thrilled our guest is singer-songwriter and the man who brought you dignity, Deacon Blues Ricky Ross. I first crossed paths with Ricky when I performed alongside him at Burns and Beyond, which is a 3 d festival that takes place in the city of Edinburgh and is a celebration of Scotland's national bard, Robert Burns. I also share a link with Ricky to Edinburgh's Lyceum Theatre. This podcast is brought to you by In Motion Theatre with an association support from the Lyceum Theatre and the Stephen Dunn Theatre Fund. So hi, Ricky, and welcome into the cultural coven. How are you? I'm very well, Nicola. Well, it's, um, it's an absolute joy to have you here. I also think you possibly are the busiest person I know during lockdown. So while the rest of us have obviously just been chilling um, on Zoom or eating, you've released two successful Deacon Blue albums, in the last twelve months, and headlined money Do you never just like fancy a wee jammy day to yourself?
1: Um, well, the thing about it is, I've you know, I suppose if you are a self-employed artist, you're kind of used just to setting your own agenda. I mean, one of the, I suppose, one of the joys, uh, and you'll know this as well, of you know, of, of doing, of being involved in the arts is the fact you don't have a boss and you don't have someone sort of dictating your timetable. And even though you have management, uh, or I've had managers all my life, um, it's usually, you know, the ideas really come from you and the things you want to do. So I, I think that, you know, I, I've kind of been used to that idea of, of, of just, you know, of setting my own timetable. And, and I enjoy, you know, I do something that I enjoy doing. Um, and most of what I enjoyed doing was I was able to. I mean, I would say maybe sixty percent of what I I I normally do in any given year, I was able to do. The big thing that I wasn't able to do was to play to play live. You know, to go out and play, play music. So the second half of twenty twenty really was uh, a strange one because. Um, you know, I would have been out, would have been out playing, and and also just the bit of inter, a lot of the interaction, the normal interaction with musicians, uh, I missed out. So things that I was able to do on my own, write, to some extent, record. Um, I I did a, a project that hasn't come out yet. I did a, a solo solo record which I was wanting to do and write and, and so on. Uh, and I've been writing another thing and commissioned for another thing. So th- these sort of things and radio, of course, which is which, which was a constant. You know it was, it was great that was a, a lovely thing to be able to keep keep going uh, i was able to do um but you know it's it, it, it's like like everyone else uh there comes a point where you just need to you need to get together with someone else
0: yeah it's such i mean we're working in such different ways as we are today obviously we're linking up um virtually mm. and uh, actually i was listening to city of love the album that released just before lockdown and i absolutely love it and um, to me it feels very deacon blue there's some really beautiful storytelling but honestly the burning question that i came away with was should i be calling you mystic ricky because uh, with titles like a walk in the woods or weight of the world did you know something that uh, something that we didn't <laughs>
1: you know there's a there's a strange thing that happens isn't there with with life that you know often the arts projects come along that you know people think oh gosh that was sort of Pressy and you know, it was amazing that, that that happened at that time. But you know, it's, I don't know, it, it, it just seemed to, it was nice, it was great for us that it connected with people. That people, I think, especially because the album came out, I think, the first week of March in 2020. The weird thing about it was that I, we'd got it out, I'd been in London, um, and actually had been spent a lot of time in the theatre, packed theatres, because my, my son, um, is My son and daughter were both in London we, and we all went out. Lorraine and my son and daughter who were down there, living there, um, all went out to see uh, Come From Away on the on the, on the the Saturday, I think, before we came home. And, and my son's studying drama at Guildhall. So he and I, and he's like, must have keen to go. And he said, oh, you know, I said, I'm still here on Monday night. This is like after we we were doing promo for our record at the beginning of March. And I said, oh, I'm still here on a Monday night do you want to go I'll well, see if we get tickets and he wanted to see the check off the cherry orchard that was on at the time at, uh, i think it's a harold Pinter theater anyway it was absolutely mobbed i mean the theater was it's so funny because you're looking back and, like, and he, he my son had a cough he has a bit of asthma coughed all the way through and everyone was giving us dirty looks <laughs> um so yeah. we were kind of in these packed theaters and packed west end of london and i came home and i pretty well uh you know about a week or so after that pretty well thought oh uh, i think i've I've got something like a flu kind of thing. And I think I probably had a, a COVID. I didn't have to go to hospital or that kind of thing, but I had to self-isolate. My daughter's partner is a doctor. And yeah. said he said, you should probably self-isolate and all that kind of thing. Uh, so I kind of missed out on all the, you know, the initial uh, thing of, of what was happening. But I think I was able to see the re- reaction to the record, which was that people kind of thought that it, it made it made sort of sense for, for the times, which was a, an interesting, I mean, it just completely coincidental.
0: So you think you had COVID yourself and Lorraine, is that right?
1: Yeah, well, you know, this is like March last year and uh, you, you couldn't get to... I, I don't know how you got tested, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, mean, I don't it, think there was it wasn't really at that totally. point,
0: was there?
1: There wasn't really any sort of possibility. I don't know how you did it. Um, and actually then Lorraine got it more seriously than I got it to such an extent that she was one of the early symptoms... Uh, of when you lose your sense of smell and taste, She a really weird thing happened. <laughs> I'd made something for for dinner, and my son by that time he was sent home from London, and he was oh this is really nice, it's really tasty. <laughs> it was like bolognese sauce you know it's like a typical. I said tonight it's really tasty, and she said really that's tasty. It doesn't taste <laughs> doesn't doesn't taste good to me. And what not? She said it doesn't taste good. She said I can't really taste it, and then. She said, This is really weird. And it was, just, this is so early on that yeah, no one right. had picked up on the fact that people were losing their sense of smell and taste, but she she did. So we both kind of went through the thing, which we're fortunate enough to think that that was, you know, we got away with it quite badly. I, I think maybe Lorraine, uh, Lorraine certainly had it longer than I had. And and, and I, maybe that was what ha- what happens. I don't know where it comes, you know, who knows. But
0: she's all, we're all, she's but, all good uh, now. She, she's, she's feeling better now.
1: She, we're all good now. All good now.
0: I'm glad. I don't want to obviously dwell on lockdown too much, but it is strange, you know, if we didn't talk about it, did either of you get into the old um, banana bread making or uh, Joe Wicks or did you partake in any of that sort of lockdown stuff?
1: <laughs> no. What we did was we did a bit of uh, what my sister, my sister has a kind of Swedish side of her daughter's married to a Swedish guy and she Keeps telling me about Swedish death cleans. Uh, so, we did a lot of cleaning out. Um, you know, so Swedes go through this thing where they, you know, they they do a lot of purges in their house. And I'm a great believer in it because um, if you don't do it, you, you're faced with horrible choices. I actually do uh, regular throwouts. I collect so many, I get sent so many CDs, as you can imagine. Of course, a radio yeah. Show and, yeah. And I did another radio show which involved getting a lot of books, which I didn't necessarily. Always want to keep, so I did regular purges anyway, uh, and we so we so we did a good amount of sorting things out, and then we did a lot of uh, stuff in the garden, a lot of work that Lorraine bought a power a power hose, and started clearing up things, painting things, you know, things that we'd normally get maybe someone else to do. We did ourselves. Uh, and of course the weather was so good we were doing lots of this this, this stuff out, outside and uh and yeah just I think that was where our um domestic energy went so you it. might be starting a wee sideline like and like home anything.
0: removals or something house cleaning. yeah I, I'll employ yeah. you I'll definitely yeah, I'll get, you get you get a van. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you, I remember you telling me that you both like to walk quite a lot um um is that something that you've done more of during lockdown and you know, you're pretty sharp dressers, the two of you always think. Do you go for the full on like rambling gear?
1: <laughs> well, here's the thing. In the summer we did walk, and you know, I know everyone's done this, but you know, when it gets to that point where you think, well, what are we gonna do this weekend? Um, we walked we decided I think the first long walk we did was so we were in the south side of Glasgow and we walked way over to the east end, uh you know, through the Gorbals, Lorraine's got lots of connections to the Gorbals, a lot of the Irish community comes from, uh, from the Gorbals, so she kind of knows that area, and it's funny because we'd, we'd actually recorded in the Gorbals uh, recent, uh, the last record in and, and the studio there, but you know, you don't spend much time walking through these places, and the funny bit was, you know, even though it was locked in, there was a lot, wasn't a lot of kids and people out in the street. It was just a like, Sunday afternoon, a Saturday afternoon. But we did a lot of that. So we went, I and mean, then one day we went up to a place that I'd, I'd always wanted, but never been uh, to uh, the Senate, the, the old uh, Glasgow Cemetery, just above the Glasgow Royal Infirmary, where the, the statue of John Knox is. And you know, there's a lot of these places, you think, why what? have what? You know, lived here for over 30 years and never done it? So we did that. We walked south one day um, and... Uh, yeah, did did a bit of walking, and then during the snow recently, it's so difficult to get uh, to get moving. And Lorraine bought these phenomenal things called cleats, that you put on your shoe, you know, like they're like spikes. Did one walk on them and they broke, so I I, I can't honestly recommend them. The kind of rubber things, I thought, oh, that you know, it felt good, but it uh, didn't fully work.
0: You're talking about you know you taking in places that you haven't maybe necessarily noticed. Um, before do you tend to write from what you know and from uh you know growing up in Dundee is that an inspiration in your in your writing?
1: Well it's become that um it's interesting you ask I mean on on the last record uh I went back to kind of memories I had as a child there's a song called On Love which is is sort of the, the the song that a lot of people related to in the record it's really a spoken word thing yeah. uh, and it's a lot about memory uh and and actually it starts with a with a memory of my grandfather and Dundee. So, yes, it does. It goes through. In fact, it maybe never, it maybe actually never really leaves Dundee. I think it kind of wanders into Edinburgh at some point, but it doesn't really actually leave uh, Dundee, which I, is not honestly something I've, 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 I have I've often do. I, I tend to, um, I suppose, just you, you tend to write where you live. I think I'm, I'm kind of one of these people that that tends to set things where I know them and stories tend to happen uh, from places that I know. So I, I suspect I go back to uh, to Glasgow a lot uh, and set things where I know, I, c- I can imagine people moving around if it's, if it's a particular story. Um, but I'd, I, it's almost like song by song, I'd have to think about it, you know?
0: Was that mm. always the plan to do two albums in 12 months or was that influenced by COVID?
1: It was <laughs> hugely influenced by COVID. Um, it was kind of, a bit of, it was a bit of luck really, uh, or or whatever. Oddly enough, Lorena had written a song right now the Town of Love and had forgotten about it, uh-huh. which is not something we normally do. And after we'd finished the record, I found it, um, just going through stuff on the computer. I thought this was really weird, but do you remember this song? And we had a really good demo of it. And uh, I sent it to my manag- our manager and said, you know this seems weird, but why- I don't know why we forgot about this song for City of Love. It would have worked well. And, and then we had a big discussion between him and the label and us at the band and said, well, actually, you know, if we go on tour, it still was up in the air at that point. Maybe we could put it out later and it could be strapped on the album. And as, as the year went on discovered, we're not going to go on tour. It, the idea came back and forward, back and forward. And eventually our label said, you know, actually sing, a single's not much use to us because we can't really, you know, with your demographic, I've got to be realistic. Our, our audience are, you know, are my age and a wee bit, maybe a wee bit younger than me, but you know, they're not they're not people who go out and buy singles. Um but we maybe could we make it into an album and, and we then discovered that we had these other we knew that we had some songs left over from the record. So it became a kind of uh again a lockdown project that we hadn't planned to do, but it it felt like a some it felt like something that we would be able to put out um and and just have a connection with people you know just we're not going to go on tour and when you do it's funny when you're on tour although you're on a stage I mean you know this as well there is still a connection with people you know you come to the stage door there's people there yeah. you know we, we used to do a lot of meets and greets and stuff like that as well so you do meet people and and just not meeting anyone you know not not really formally uh connecting with any audience felt strange so I think this was it was just a you know it was just a way of us doing something which which connected with people, I think.
0: So I first met you in 2019. I'd met Lorraine previously in acting editions, but um, met yourself when we were doing Burns and Beyond in Edinburgh. And I don't think I told you this at the time, but I actually had no clue I would be working with you until my wee auntie called me up because she'd read about it in the evening news. And uh, I was pretty excited because, um, to me, there's not many bigger Scottish bands in Deacon Blue. But what I did observe from you was that you were so calm during um, the sound checks. Are you just naturally, do you get no nerves with performing or do you do any kind of rituals before? I do a few strange things, let me tell you.
1: <laughs> I thought you were very calm.
0: That's a combination of Barocca, Haribo, uh, a banana. <laughs> I do, cre- I've, I mean, I've ha- Haribo has been the cause of a few near death experiences for me before I go on stage. A few actors have had to uh, stop me choking.
1: <laughs> really? No, I do get nervous. I think when I'm with the band, um, to, I'll be real. Honest, I mean, I think some nights with the band, when we when we went to play the Hogmanay, it was a, oh, we were nervous because we hadn't played all year, and we're in a BBC studio. It was really weird and, literally, you know, everything was just different. everyone the whole crew. There's no audience there. There was crew in masks and. It was television you know what i mean and, and we were playing songs that we didn't really know um and it's quite funny we did writing on the tide of love and we got through because i think we did that for let's get that over with and literally i cocked up the second verse and um but i was so Determine, let, kind of, let's move on beyond that. I sort of said, no, that's, that's a take. That's fine. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm talking about the lyrics. I muffle it. You know, it's like, if you go back and look at the, don't, don't go back and look at the YouTube, please. But uh, if you do, you'll just say, oh my God, he's terrible. And I think that was nerves. It was just like, you know, because we hadn't played the song before. And even though you know something, you don't really, you know I mean? You don't know something until you've done it a few times. You'll know that. From, yeah, and it's in your muscle memory. It show. takes
0: a while, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's that point where you just don't have to think about it. But when you're thinking about it, it's just useless, you know. So, yes, I do get nervous uh, about that. And sometimes I get nervous um, when I'm playing a solo show. And sometimes I think, oh, what the hell? You know, why did I agree to do this? Because I remember I basically started doing solo shows again to overcome a, a kind of form of stage fright, to be honest right. with you. Yeah. Um, I was doing a, a songwriting round, a songwriting thing in Belfast. Um, and it was four of us on stage And we'd gone out for something to eat And chatted These other three really great writers um, And we got really well We were having good, good fun and, and I think I had a couple of glasses of wine I think I was just completely Just not being prepared And I got halfway through a song And forgot the second verse And it freaked me out I got away with it because I just joked. I mean, I kind of, I didn't get, well, I don't know if I got away with it. I, I got away with it in the sense that I didn't, the audience didn't, didn't stone me off the stage. Um, but I didn't get away with it in the sense that I would I would think about it, you know, like weeks later, thinking, oh, why did that happen? This used to haunt me a little bit. And so I actually literally thought at one point, it's a lot too, too boring a story to go into here, but I, I did start doing solo shows, absolutely solo shows again, to sort of prove to myself that I could, could overcome if that makes sense
0: my little thing is i I will say a little prayer to the theater gods um to to get me through do you have a a, a, a faith yourself
1: yeah i do and i have a very deep sort of christian faith in that. and it's evolved over the years i mean i'm a practicing roman catholic now uh and that's that's important I mean, important to me in a sense that, that i feel comfortable in that in that form of worship um but but not important in the sense that I feel I have any more um, right to the truth than someone of a different faith or someone of a different type of Christian faith or someone of no faith. You know what I mean? I, it's not something I feel I have to, to be superior about, but it does help me.
0: Um, you were talking about um, keeping Deacon Blue, uh, the, the performances, different every night. So, and I know that you had a break for a while. Um, is there a difference between Deacon Blue version one and Deacon Blue version two?
1: Yeah, I think there is. I, I mean, I think the middle bit was a bit muddled, um, and we didn't. You know, there was a definite break, and then we got back together, and that was slightly half-hearted because we only we only effectively replayed shows, and of course we only played shows with material that was old. So the second part of Deacon Blue was, you know, and I have to say Gregor is a huge part of it. Gregor Philip who came and play guitar was great because we started working together and Gregor, you know, in a sense, um, you know, had a, a brought a lot of energy and, and also it coincided with when we decided eventually when I think when Gregor started playing with us, actually, um, and Jed who's his friend who now plays with Simple Minds, but Greg and Jed, uh, Gregor and Jed joined us for a tour when we we didn't cause Graham had died in 2004 and we were still using other, so, you know, a, a different ensemble of people. And, um, uh, Gregor sort of said, you know, you should just go back to the lineup that you have just, you know, one guitarist and one, you know, just six of you, and we can do this. And that made a, his, his attitude made a difference, but also we were kind of looking for new management and we eventually found the right person, Tom, O'Rourke has been managing us and me uh, f- for the last ten years, but before that we went through different people and it didn't work out. But one of them, who's still a good friend, when I was kind of searching around, sort of said to me, "You, you, you're a band. You need to make an, an album." And I didn't know. It sounds odd, but I didn't really know how to how to write for a Deacon Blue record at that point. And I just went back. His his enthusiasm just got me. Started and we made and wrote the hipsters and I think we started that album making it 2011 came out in 2012 and from then we haven't stopped it just feels natural and I think what what felt natural for me was when all my life I'd wanted to 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 make a record and and Deacon Blue was the band that that eventually made that happen And instead of just worrying about it. I just went just write the songs that are in your heart and and it'll happen and 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 that's kind of that's the difference so Deacon Blue 2 is different um, totally different because it's you know it's a different you know we 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 started from a different point you know for, for the first band everything that happened hap- you know happened for the, to us for the first time sure and that was amazing you know that was incredible incredible you know journey you, you're going from playing to no one uh, and sometimes playing to to <laughs> you know, people leaving you know just, you know all that kind of stuff to to actually having some success but where this time it was just making sure that we were creative you know, being, being creative and, and sort of bringing an audience back, as it were.
0: And, I mean, I can't not speak to you and not talk about Dignity. For me, it's such an iconic song. I literally grew up dancing at it, birthdays, weddings, maybe even weeks. Um, there's such a beautiful <laughs> wee story there about a dream. And, and I know it's an internationally known, but for me it encapsulates something very Scottish, that sort of very working class Scottish Dignity and, dignity and, and Aspirations. Do you write from experience or was it, what inspired that? And did you not be a hit actually?
1: It's interesting you ask that because I, I kind of think it was a breakthrough song for me because I think that I was trying to write something that was important, that that felt like it was, you know, actually meaningful. Mm. And it wasn't just filling up the lyrics of a song. It was kind of, songwriting's not really, I don't think songwriting, sometimes like like a lot of things that are in the arts yes there's a there's a there's a sense of which you've got some sort of gift but there's also a lot you can learn you can teach yourself about it you know what i mean so when you have the rudiments of it i think you can still learn i think you can still learn all your life about it you there's things that you just can get better at and i think though i was writing and i think i had the seeds of some writing i think i still hadn't written you know the song that that, that you know this is you know this is my song you know this is like i can go out and say this i've written this you know and at least you know sort of wave it in the air and i think that was my i knew that something had happened after i'd written that there was something that that you know just even the lyric i thought that's 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 a story worth telling so that was a that was a marker for it uh, i was abroad i was in crete on holiday and uh fun enough there was a there was a a music paper with me and uh, i think it was an interview with morrissey and it was the whole the headline on it was home thoughts from abroad and i thought well, that's that's a good idea you know the robert browning poem and i thought yeah because you can write you, you do reflect more on where you come from when you when you're away from home but yeah. actually when i lived at the time south side of glasgow and polit shields i think there was a cleansing depot and there were these guys walking up and down the street with brushes and i never quite made you know sense of that but so I it's a combination of all these things and thinking about what would happen if, you know, at the time it was huge unemployment, what would happen if everyone did have jobs and what kind of jobs would they do? And, and so it was all these things sort of coming together and, and, in a very short couple of verses really.
0: Wow, I was—I want to say I absolutely love it. And I'll tell you what I love even more. Um, Was seeing yourself and the lovely Lorraine crooning with Gary Barlow during lockdown. What a highlight. (laughs) How how did that happen? Did Gary just get on the blower and was like, here Lorraine, get your handbag. Love, let's have a dance round the kitchen. Like, what
1: happened? (laughs) Uh, Gary contacted our manager and said he wanted to do it. And Tom phoned me and said, Gary wants to speak to you about this. I didn't know Gary uh, at all, right. and uh, I knew who he was, obviously, and 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 uh, so we had a great chat on the phone, and and I just like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And so we'd come up with a sort of because I didn't quite understand the, the the concept, and I said, well, maybe we should just, you know, we always sing in harmony. I didn't even understand how you do it technologically, because how do you do these things? And uh, he said, oh no no no, just <laughs> I just do your biggest song, just just you know, let, let's do let's do Real Gone Kid. I love it. I bought it, you know. Um, so, um, so he, he, he'll set up his version and then we sang to that. But actually Lorraine and I couldn't hear each other when we did it. We just kind of knew it, you know, I think we kind of knew what each other would do. So she sang to Gary, I sang to Gary and then Gary put it all together. Um, and it was really good fun. I
0: hope you followed up with a uh, Relight My Fire.
1: <laughs> no, I'll tell you how I followed it up though. Uh, interesting enough, when he phoned up, I'd been... My producer at BBC, I do this series of conversations, kind of like we are doing now, except I'm I'm you, um, on on kind of people with long songwriting careers and and artist careers, and we'd wanted Gary for it, and we'd got the usual kind of management. Oh, you know, maybe later in the year, and I said, Gary, do you fancy? Do-? Yeah, I said, no problem. Uh, so within a week, I'd, I'd recorded a thing with Gary, which will come out um, on on the BBC.
0: Oh, I I look forward um, to that. And actually, talking of fun things, I think it's time for a wee creative challenge. We thought that we would send you a wee creative challenge just to rewrite some songs. So if I give you the first line of the song, I would like you to rewrite the subsequent line. And I'll tell you who it's by as well. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so number one is hashtag selfie by the chain smokers. And the line goes, after we go to the bathroom... Can we smoke a cigarette?
1: Because it will help the smell evaporate. (laughs) Evaporate cigarette. doesn't quite rhyme, does it?
0: I love it. It sounds like a good government campaign. You're on to a winner there, mate. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And number two is Shotgun by George Ezra. I'll be riding shotgun underneath the hot sun.
1: But I will never understand that expression
0: either will i (laughs) love it okay number three a personal favorite of mine beauty school dropout by frankie avalon and it was in greece the line goes beauty school dropout no graduation day for you
1: you're homeschooled now and your folks are drunk and confused
0: (laughs) half of scotland are feeling the vibes (laughs) cultural coven is delighted to have musical support from singer-songwriter, musician, member of the Red Hot Chili Pipers, and very importantly, a fifer, Cameron Barnes. This song, Coming Home, and the rest of Cameron's music is available on all the main streaming platforms. So go on, download it and have a wee dance about your kitchen. Thanks Cameron for letting us use this tune.
1: And I actually oddly, I'm the person that probably is the biggest theatre fan in the house. Maybe not anymore because Seamus is about, but uh, I would be the one that would maybe have gone always all my life gone to theater as a, you know, real relaxation. I, I, I love going to theater. I, I go to the sits a lot when since I've, you know, lived in Glasgow come to Lyceum when I'm in Edinburgh, uh, Tron, you know, all these sort of places. And, um, and you know, and, and, and then London, I always go, if I got a night off, I'll go on my own. Um, so, you know, going to see her in the theatre, uh, well, that's obviously slightly, you know, I was nervous the first nights, but, you know, I, I loved doing that.
0: So did you see much theatre as a boy growing up in Dundee?
1: I mean, probably more teenage years, I, I, I got taken to pantomime quite early and got scared when I was a wee boy. Oh. People running up and down the aisles, you know that kind of way? And then I my earliest theater memory was with my grandmother, uh, who I never did very much. This particular grandmother my, my, my on my father's side took me to see Francie and Josie, a theater that's now burnt, burnt down, not long after the Queens Theater in Dundee. And I loved these guys on the telly. I just thought they were the funniest people. So I was a wee boy. And I absolutely loved that. And I think I loved it because it was in color as well. Um, and then as a teenager, um, I started going to, you know, late teens, I started going to theater, going to the Rep in Dundee. And again, I, I kind of drifted away from going to football and I would go to Saturday afternoon matinees and set my own um, because it wasn't something you did with pals, but I loved it, you know, I just, I just, uh, and then when we were at college, I was doing teaching college, English teaching, um, and we we I don't know how it worked in these days, but we used to get subsidised, uh, you know, grants to get, you know, you got student tickets and uh, free transport. We got a minibus and we used to go off to to see things, and and we saw a lot of great things. And so it just became habitual just to go to 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 theatre. The only time I ever worked at the Lyceum was I did music uh, for. Was it As You um, Like It?
0: You did
1: it for? No, it was Much Ado About Nothing. Oh,
0: much Ado, I knew it was a Shakespeare. When was that that you did that, Ricky?
1: Oh, it was Kenny Ireland's time, early 2000s. Uh,
0: I would have been in the Lyceum Theatre.
1: And I did the music. And it was really nice. Got got the chance to set some songs, uh, you know, Shakespeare songs, because there's lovely songs in it as well, to music and and so on. And, and, and we used a lot of, rec- you know, just background music. But I, I loved doing it because it was sort of such a release, you know, of a different, different project. I was
0: going to say, how does it differ doing music for theatre? Because I know you did, um, the choir as well, the sets, which was, um, Paul Higgins, mm. he wrote, uh, the, the musical and you, he wrote the, the play, sorry, and you wrote the music for it. Mm. I actually did my first ever acting job with, um, Paul and such a lovely guy, so very different to his character in The Thick of It, um thankfully. <laughs> but do uh, you strike me as someone who always likes to challenge himself? Was it, is it very different doing music for theatre to um, to your other work?
1: I think it is because you, you really have to, you know, realise that it's just got to be where it's needed sort of thing. Um, I mean, that that was a particularly difficult, I mean, that, I wouldn't say that was an easy project to do, but you learn from it, you know. Um, and there was moments of, there was moments of was some great Good people involved um but the nice thing is uh for enough uh yeah you you kind of learn each time um uh, and it was a thrill you know it was a thrill to 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 have a musical and, and get it on and there was a whole talk at the time of of, of it going on tour and so on I, I think it prob i think with musicals they just always need a lot of work i mean you you always need to to go back and i think i mean you, you can see that and even West End musicals
0: I'm just wondering if you had a lot of actors saying um, see that line Ricky I don't think my character would sing that because we're quite bad for doing that in right rehearsals <laughs> um, I'm sort of sensing you maybe don't have any more plans to do more musicals or does it never say never uh,
1: no I actually do I mean I won't say much about it at the moment but that is one of the things that is, I've been working on in lockdown it was a commission that oddly enough just came about then and so that will they'll watch Watch this space. It's quite an exciting one as well, so I think it'll be
0: good. Come on, can I bag be a wee part, Ricky? Well... And keep me in mind, Yeah, i
1: right? just promise that. I say, I say that to everyone. Yeah, of course you can. Of course you can. No, it's got nothing to cheeky. do with me.
0: I'm just being cheeky. Because I can't not speak to you uh, without mentioning the Queen, Dolly Parton.
1: Obviously, I, I have a huge interest in country music. Dolly Parton is, as you rightly say, the queen of country music. I mean, she's, she's, she's in, a, she's in a, a league of her own, really in terms of, you know, being of that vintage, a woman of the sixties really, you know, who, who started a career in television and, and, and uh, duet, duets with Porter Wagoner in the sixties, uh, breaking through in the seventies, big time, but then can go in eighties, nineties, you know, so over decades and decades and decades. And then of course doing movies and doing songs, uh, uh, you know, songs for movies books you know you name it all, all sorts of stuff but essentially all through that time has been a songwriter and that you know i i kind of feel that at the bottom line i'm a songwriter and i really admire people who are songwriters and dolly's also an interesting thing in nashville that most people co-write songs it's, a, it's quite a big tradition she did when she started with her uncle but her all her songs, her famous songs, are really hundred percent Dolly songs. Um, so yeah, she's, she's she's groundbreaking. I mean, there's so many there's so many aspects to her. And and I was frustrated because for years I would turn on the radio and oh you know Radio Two doing anything with Dolly Parton, and it would just be kind of like almost an interview on of her being a gay icon or something like that. You know, which I mean, is nothing wrong with that, but it just it felt to me like it missed a whole you know significant bit of what she did. And, and we were on the same label. We were on CBS Records and Sony um, in the 80s. And one night we went to a CBS conference. Uh, this is You should never do these. It's like seeing how sausages get made. You know, it's like, you know, you know what? You want to enjoy them, but not see how they're, you know, how it happens. And it was all the sales guys talking about albums that were coming out. And this sales guy got up and basically just did a whole thing about Dolly's tits. You know, he just did Dolly Parton. She's got two big, you know, it was like, I thought, what the hell? And we were so annoyed. This is like 1988 or something like that. Lynn and I walked out, just walked out of the sales conference. I know have am not having that. If you're going to speak about artists like that, you're going to speak about my favorite artists like that, you know, I don't want to be on your label. Uh, just, yeah, I've absolutely, I never told her this, but I just, because it would be horrible to have to tell her what, how her label had been, I mean, she probably knows, you know. But it's so frustrating to me that people did not, men, a lot of men would interview her and not take her art seriously. and. And I thought, do and 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 the frustrating thing is perhaps even that Dolly herself allowed that to happen. You know, maybe it was complicit in, in a sense. thinking, oh, I've got to do this because it's you know
0: sure, it's and what I people it's quite, expect. You know, you, you different know, times you. at the start of her career as well. But I mean, it's so frustrating because she's a highly intelligent, highly talented yeah. woman, and to try and just sort of diminish her to um, you know, their, yeah. what suits the Yeah, agenda. and it goes on and on, you know, yeah. Talking of other great women, um, yourself and, uh, you know, the lovely lady have also had a very successful um, relationship Is over 30 years you've been married for. And I feel like this industry doesn't necessarily always lend itself to um, happy marriages. What is the secret? Is it a secret?
1: You know, we often say, people say this to us, and we say, well,
0: what, what's the deal? You know, it's
1: like you, you marry someone that you love and, and you and you like it. You know, but I don't know. I, I'm not her. No, <laughs> I can secret. see it. that
0: is so lovely, and I can completely understand why she's such a gorgeous woman. So, you she's oh uh, uh, yeah, if you We're, don't like what the other person's doing? You can go, actually sorry that's that's actually not very good.
1: Or Lorraine's my own, most honest critic, and and she she's doing a, a creative project just now, which she'll always ask me about, and I'll say, well, you know, it's what I think, and blah blah blah. Um, but but yeah, you know, we try and comment, but we've also got. You know, four kids between us that, that we that are great friends, and you know, g- you know, we're, we're a close family. You know, it's we're, we're, we're a close bunch. Um, um, though we can't always be together at the moment, which is which is very frustrating. But I think that you know, we we, we just we like a lot of the same things. We we got together because we liked a lot of the same things, even musically. Uh, we like a lot of the same things, and we like hanging out together.
0: I heard you um, mention that you were an English teacher, which I just recently um, heard about. I, so was the plan always to be a musician, you know, a singer, a songwriter, or was the plan to be an English teacher?
1: Uh, I think I was like most English teachers that uh, I knew at the time that was, you know, your plan was to be an English teacher until something better came along. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I did it as a job to make some money at the time I was qualified. Odd enough, I was I was remembering something. I, I actually asked this question on, on Twitter the other day because I'm trying to write something at the moment. And I was in my final teaching practice. I, I did drama. Uh, I was an English and drama teacher. And I was at high school, in Whitfield High School in Dundee. And there was a guy there whose name I now remember called Bill Garvey a great guy and he had a brilliant relationship with the kids the kids just loved him and he put on shows and um, you know he that people are obsessed with discipline problems the kids just you know he had all these kids doing all, everything you know drama and it was just brilliant absolutely brilliant stuff and actually as it happened this is like towards the end of my uh, uh, degree uh, so my final teaching practice and he said "I oh, actually I've, I've been promoted I'm, I'm getting a job I can't remember where he was going but he was going somewhere as head of you know drama or something like that and he sort of said to me look do you want to why don't you apply for the job i'll put a good reference you know you seem to know what you're doing uh, i was just copying him <laughs> um but yeah um and uh i was seriously tempted but by that time i'd agreed to go off and actually work in a completely different direction I I didn't want to be I didn't really want to teach so I ended up doing youth work for a couple of years which was was what I wanted to do and I ended up teaching for a couple of years after that which is really something I did as a job but again I really enjoyed it I enjoyed working with kids and I loved a lot of the staff that I worked with again it was a kind of fairly rough area it was in this was in Glasgow Um, but I still see kids that were well they're now middle-aged Elder, older folk, the older men and women, who will bump into me occasionally in the West. The school was in Mary Hill and I'll I'll bump into them. And uh, but no, I didn't. I honestly didn't want to be it, uh, and I didn't think I was very good at it. Um, but um, yeah, when I was teaching, I was I was kind of had an eye on being a musician, to be honest.
0: It wasn't an outside influence from your family, or right? and they were were they quite happy that you were going? to...
1: My mum was a teacher. My mum was a yeah. My mum, my mum was a primary teacher. She was a great teacher, and kids loved her. But um, and and my my dad, uh, my mum, he just thought it was nuts. You know, giving up a job. They just thought it was crazy. Um, uh, and and at the time, you know, you look back and think, what would I think now if my, you know, if, if someone one of my Offspring were sort of giving up their job to go off and join the rock and roll circus. You know, I, I would. I would <laughs> you're nuts. You know. So yeah, I mean, they, they were they were kind of looking back on it. They were as understanding as they could be.
0: I'm sorry to hear that you lost your mum um, at the start of uh, lockdown. It must have been really difficult, especially with the you know further restrictions as well. It must have just made it even tougher. Um, really sorry to, to hear about that. It, just, it sounds like she was a a, a lovely woman. Yeah, she was. A, y-
1: yeah, she was. She, she was. She, you know, that that generation. She was ninety two. Uh, my mum when, when she died last year, and we were, she she had terminal illness. Uh, so she was she was always going to be ill. Uh, you know, it was only a matter of time. That was well before the lockdown happened. And, and obviously, when we were first in lockdown, all we were doing was just looking after, trying to look after her. We were kind of lucky. We were, you know, I've I've had terrible stories of people not being with the, you know, with clearly not with the close relatives when they've died and terrible stories and say one of my my son's-in-law is a doctor and those stories of putting you know phones and ipads in front of patients to say farewell to their family you know terrible stuff like that uh, and we weren't like that we we, we my mom uh, died in august last year when 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 there was no COVID. i mean there was there was no COVID in that hospital where she died uh, okay. so they were being very ca- they were being cautious but they were allowing us in and we had a fantastic amazing staff and his ward were just brilliant to be with uh who 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 were great about my sister and and lorraine and i and my brother-in-law coming in um you know we couldn't bring the whole family in but we were allowed to come in on a daily basis and just be with her so it was you know we were Compared to lots of folk, we were really, really lucky. And and uh, you know she, she you know, the, the, there are so many worse stories I, I have to say. And my mom had a, an amazing life and a, a good, you know, what, what I think people recognise is a good death. You know, a death where you're you're ready to go and you're with your family.
0: I'm glad that that you know, brought you some comfort. And talking about kind of other inspirations in your life. Somebody that I've heard a lot about over the years um, was the celebrated singer-songwriter Michael Mara. One of the um, (laughs) infamous stories I've heard about him was that at the start of his career, uh, his publisher said that they didn't want too many Scottish songs, but he responded by writing an album of entirely Scottish songs. Uh, Liz (laughs) Lockwood always tells me that story. Was he a big influence on yourself, being a guy from Dundee?
1: Yeah, Michael, I think, was a huge influence. I mean, I... I only some, I saw Michael really early on because he was in a band called Skeets Bolivar and they used to play every Thursday night in a place called Lings, which is a just a, just a bar just beside the art school in Dundee, Rose Angle. And, and they, used play, they used to play these long shows. Michael played bass, believe it or not, in this band. His brother Christopher played uh, as well. And then just towards the end of the 70s, uh, early 80s, he, he sort of made a solo album and that got a bit of publicity. And I remember going to see him Uh, Play and I just thought he was great and I bumped into him one night. He was drunk He was just outside the pub. He was smoking a smoking a pipe, would you believe? Um, And anyway, I can't remember. I was kind of involved in in putting on a gig And I think I asked him to do something. I can't remember. Anyway, very early on, not long after I moved to Glasgow um, A lot of people in Glasgow didn't know him Right but I sort of kept up with me wrote or something like that and then I got them through to do a benefit show for folks who were going out to work in medical aid in Nicaragua um and we did the show it was like one of these nights where you, you I just asked everyone and everyone just said yes so I had Pat Keane was doing it Wet 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 were doing it uh other I, other I sang it this is like before Deacon Blue really bought our first record. Anyways, lots of folk at it. And so all these people were at it, like, and heard Michael. And so Michael came along and played this thing. And I almost heard Pat King going, who is this guy? You know, and of course he heard this song. And then of course Pat ended up with You and Cry covering Mother Glasgow. And and I think almost that night, kind of opened up Michael to to a sort of new audience in Glasgow. This is at Third Eye Center at the time. And, uh, and we stayed in touch um, and and then Michael came out in tour with us in 91. And, you know, looking back on it, I remember, you know, we used to write letters to each other and and and, and even later on, I would get fed up with things and I'd say to him, already oh, fed up, and, you know, and, and he would, you know, he'd be great. He'd say, "Well, you know, no one can stop me making music and all, you know, he was great for, for all that. And then Gregor, who uh, plays guitar with us, Gregor was very close to me. And I, I see Gregor really did know him much better than I did because played, played, played in his bands and knew all his songs, you know, they, they, they kind of, you know, always put these things together. And, and I played with Christopher for a while as well, uh, played guitar with him. So, I, you know, I you know, and then just before Michael died, his kids were out in tour with us. So um, the Hazy Jeans, which is Matthew and Alice at the time, uh, were in the band and they were out in tour with us just before that. So it was came as a real shock when he when he died, because I don't think even they knew how. How poorly he'd been. Um and and it was really sad. But yeah, I mean, an amazing influence and and still is.
0: If you were to speak to someone who was just about to go into the industry, is there any piece of advice you would give them?
1: Uh apart from don't.
0: (laughs) Uh, Apart from that, you know, because I don't think I'll be sweet, but
1: no, I think that um no, I don't I wouldn't say that anyway. um I just think that I really admire people who you know who making music because I think it's hard I think it is really hard to at the moment you know especially just now when you can't get and play live and even think of you maybe get some money back on what you're doing Uh, it's hard and of course the whole business of how to how to market music has changed no I think do what you want to do I think the, the the people I think that always succeed and have the careers that anyone wants are the people who Make the music they want to make, and are part of that because odd enough, you you, and I've seen this happen with young songwriters. You can end up being, you know, persuaded to make music that you don't really believe in. You know that maybe someone thinks you should be making or whatever. And of course, you, if you don't believe in it, it will never come across to anyone else as authentic, and 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 you'll not love it. You know, you've got to start by loving it yourself. So I think you've always got to do the things that you really... And, I th- and that may sound incredibly obvious, but believe it or not, I think some people do get sidetracked into things that, that they don't really want to do. And I think that there's a whole lot of people out there who just want to be famous and look, that good luck to them. That's And, and they'll do anything to do to, to that. But, you know, you or me are not interested in, in them. Uh, and I don't think you'll ever be interested in their music. I think the people that are, are interesting are people who, who just do things that are and that's why I kind of love that I, div- I quite a collective music I love when I hear someone who's a brilliant you know uh, bluegrass banjo player or something like that because it's just their thing you know um, in the same way as, uh, as a, uh, you know I, I don't know electronic stuff that I haven't heard or you know whatever because it's just you know it's them doing it, it's them doing their thing well so yeah do your own thing and keep, keep going at it
0: I think that's why I love your uh, radio show so much because you're such a brilliant supporter of um, you know new talent but also you um, you give uh, a bigger platform To establish talent as well And I just think yourself and Lorraine Are very supportive of um, emerging artists And that's something to be celebrated I'm going to go into a little uh, Quick fire question section Now be afraid Because I absolutely will judge you On your answers uh, Are you ready? <laughs> so it's just a choice yeah, of one ready. or two and Go with your instinct Okay here goes okay. Classics or modern? <laughs>
1: Classic.
0: TV or theatre? Theatre. Faulty towers or only fools and horses?
1: Faulty towers.
0: Chippy sauce or no chippy sauce?
1: Oh, you mean Edinburgh chippy sauce? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's a good thing about Edinburgh for me. Yeah. Yes, definitely. man, definitely. after my own
0: heart, love it. The Bard or Burns?
1: Oh, I... To be honest, I know this is going to be controversial, and this is this is where the podcast will now get taken off the air. I'm going to say the bard,
0: uh, the slosh, or the Macarena.
1: <laughs> I, I wouldn't know where to start with either, so you can just pick pick your own. Yeah,
0: let's go for the slosh, okay? <laughs> stage left or stage right?
1: Stage left or stage right? Oh, are we always come well. I think we always come on stage left and go off stage left. So I'll say stage left.
0: I think that apparently that's where the eye's drawn to more, I believe. Uh, The stalls or the Ah. grand circle? Oh, stalls. City or countryside? City. A buffet or a la carte?
1: Oh, a la
0: carte. (laughs) Records or Digital.
1: Well, actually, to be really, really honest, I like both. I I, I love records, but um, but you can't play them in the car. So digital.
0: Fancy Nancy or dress down.
1: Dress down, because I, I yeah, I I'm not good at dressing. Now I always think I always get a look at myself, like oh no.
0: A football or rugby. A football. Bollinger or beer.
1: Oh, I think champagne's overrated. <laughs> That's <laughs> a bit, a bit too kind of like rock and roll. Yeah. Well, I just, I always think, oh, what's the point? You know, you, one glass of it is quite nice to celebrate. You do a big thing, you know, but it's
0: quite pricey, the old champagne. Exactly. It? Thank you so much for your time. I hope to catch up with you soon in person, maybe drinking some uh, press night nasty wine in a theatre bar soon.
1: Oh, yeah, that would be great. That'd be great. Listen, good luck with your podcast. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening in and why not join us next week when i'll be welcoming actress and comedian elaine c smith into the cultural coven for some hilarious chat until then